Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. Ten years ago, a massive crisis in the world financial system erupted. The economy, politics and the lives of ordinary people haven't been the same since that watershed moment. Capitalist commentators claim nobody saw the crash coming, but with our Marxist analysis, the Socialist Party did. In this episode, we're discussing the causes and effects of that economic crisis. Over to Sarah Rack. Okay, I'm here today with Steve Score, who's a member of the Socialist Party's National Committee. Hi, Steve. Hiya. And today we're going to be talking about the economic crisis that started in 2007-2008, so 10 years ago um, now. Uh, so to start with, we like to discuss why we're discussing this. <laughs> uh, so why do you think it's important for socialists to look back to 10 years ago to that world economic crisis uh, and, and have a you know deeper analysis of that? Well, of course, it's had a massive impact um, on people's living standards, uh, on the economy and also on politics over the last 10 years. So um, it was an event that has resulted in the further driving down of the living standards of the majority of the world's population. And it is an event that we need to discuss um, in terms of could it happen again and how could it be prevented and what's the alternative to a system that creates that kind of crisis. Yeah, it's quite a watershed really, isn't it? And I think for young people now, it might be seen quite a long time ago, 10 years ago, hmm. but actually it's it's kind of the event that conditions the whole uh, situation they're living in now, isn't it? Yes. Um, so what was the, how would we describe the period before that crisis hit? What was it like? Um, and both in terms of for working class people and also for the bosses, for the capitalist class. Well, you could say that the period up to that was a period of economic upswing um, or perhaps boom. But of course, it wasn't really a boom that affected working class people in the same way as the super rich, because you'd had a whole period where the gap between the rich and poor had been constantly widening. The super rich made themselves even richer during that period. Um, but for many working class period people, their living standards weren't going up at all. But it was a, a period where capitalism appeared to be in an upswing. And as far as they were concerned, everything was going hunky-dory. They were carrying out uh, what is called neoliberal policies, which meant that they were deregulating markets they were privatizing publicly owned industries they were operating on the basis that the best thing for the economy is to have the absolute minimum government involvement in regulating what was going on that the market knows best and that will always solve the problems but that approach was proved to be wrong when the crash happened in 2007-2008 Okay, so the big question then, what caused the crash? Well, the immediate cause, uh, which is well known, was the so-called subprime housing market, um, where um, in the US particularly, loans were being made to people that they could never actually pay back. It was based on a huge housing bubble. 
And what happened was that all of those debts were parceled up by the banks and financial institutions, mixed with other debts and spread around the world. So you had a situation, ultimately, where these bad debts went everywhere around the world. They were globalised and you had banks not really knowing the real value of their assets. And that's why when um, the crunch finally came and those debts were not uh, paid for, where they collapsed, it had a, a massive impact on the financial institutions around the world um, and then a huge loss of confidence um, in the uh, banking system. But you could argue that that was the trigger for a crisis, but that there were really underlying causes as well. And for that crisis, you had a, a huge growth in debt on a world scale um, before then, um, both personal debt and government debt and corporate debts as well. And, you know, a, a bubble existed. People were buying goods, for example, on the basis of um, credit, uh, which meant that, you know, production was continuing. People were selling goods. Companies were selling their goods. But at a certain point, people run out of that um, uh, credit and the uh, bubble tends to burst. Um, so there was an immediate crisis caused by the subprime loans market that resulted in banks collapsing, like Lehman Brothers, for example, um, in 2008. That then had a knock-on effect into the real economy. But, you know, there were underlying causes beyond that, actually. Um, which are built into capitalism because the truth is, is that since capitalism's existed, every few years you have a crisis where the booms then turn into slumps, and it's something that capitalism's never been able to solve. If you think hundreds of years of these economists trying to sort out the uh, the problems of the economy, and they've never come up with a solution to the booms and slumps within capitalism. And they actually result in a massive amount of waste. Um, in fact, there's a quote on the Bank of England website um, saying that if you look at various examples throughout history, one estimate places the total economic cost of a typical financial crisis at around 75% of national income. Um, presumably that's not just in one year, that's over a whole number of years after a crash. And um, that's the equivalent of £21,000 for every person in the UK, which is the Bank of England admitting that there's a fundamental flaw in the system, um, that all the skills that people have, all the investments, um, the factories, the machinery, uh, everything built up, up over many years by capitalism is then suddenly thrown away and wasted in these crises, um, which in itself shows there is something fundamentally wrong with the way our economic system works. And that's a big part then, isn't it, in how we did predict at the time that there would be a crash, that it wasn't, you know, Gordon Brown wasn't right when he said that he'd ended uh, the boom and bust cycle. And because even now in the in the kind of 10 years um, uh I don't know, commemorations of the crisis, looking back, the capitalist press and all the commentators and the bankers and so on say, well, no one saw it coming, but we did see it coming, didn't we? 
Absolutely. You can look back in the material that we produced in the socialist and in socialism today, which predicted these events. You can never put a timescale on it. You don't know when it's going to happen. Um, but we did it not by just, um, you know, some kind of magic. We did it by analysing what was going on in the economy, but also using the method of Marxism, because even right wing capitalist magazines like The Economist had to admit that the events of 2007, 2008 proved that Marx had got it right. Of course, they don't uh, agree with his solution to the problem, getting rid of capitalism. But the fact that these inbuilt problems exist within capitalism is, is, is that, that analysis we used to, uh, to predict the crisis. In fact, what happens is that capitalism only works because um, somebody makes a profit. The owners of companies, the owners of industry want to make a profit. But what really creates wealth, what really creates value is working class people, the people who do the work whether it's by hand or by brain, they create wealth and the capitalists make a profit by paying them less than the value of the wealth that's been created by workers. They keep a bit of it back for themselves, this surplus, which, OK, if they reinvest all of that surplus in expanding production, that works well. But for many years now, the capitalists have not really done that. They've not carried out the, what was supposed to be their historic mission of reinvesting that surplus back into new production. And what it means then is that over a long period of time, because the working class as a whole, averaged out throughout society, throughout the whole of the world, isn't paid the full value of the goods they produce, then they can't ultimately buy them back. That means that eventually the system is producing more than people can afford. It means there's an overcapacity in the system, which causes really the boom-slump cycle that we um, see repeated over and over again in the history of, of capitalism. It's using that method of Marxism that enabled us to um, predict the crash. And it's also a method we can look at in terms of the processes that are going on in the economy today. Okay, so then the crash hit a big disaster for the capitalist class and for capitalist governments. How did governments around the world respond to that crisis? Well, their first inclination was, as I said before, being neoliberals, that, oh, well, the market will sort itself out. But when Lehman Brothers uh, collapsed, which was uh, one of the biggest investment banks in the entire world, they then realised that if they did nothing then you would see a scale of collapse equivalent to what happened in 1929 with the famous Wall Street crash that then led to the Great Depression of the 1930s, which was absolutely devastating for capitalism and had massive political effects with revolutionary movements taking place across the world and ultimately counter-revolutionary movements as well, such as the rise of fascism in Germany and elsewhere. Uh, leading to the Second World War. So looking at those uh, results from the 1929 crash, the capitalist governments that were previously going on about how wonderful the market was had to step in and take drastic measures to try and stop the crash from being too bad. And what they did is 
they firstly stepped in and nationalised these banks and financial institutions. And secondly, they pumped vast amounts of money into the world economy, so-called quantitative easing, where effectively they print money in an electronic way um, to try and uh, sustain demand, to to try and pump money into the economy. Um, So they took these direct measures in contradiction to their avowed policies in the past, but they had to do it. It didn't stop uh, an economic recession but it probably stopped one on the scale of 1929. Um, of course, these measures of pumping money into the economy, for example, didn't really benefit ordinary people because that money went to the banks and financial institutions. And the nationalisation was not really on a socialist basis. It was socialism for the rich, if you like. It was propping up the banks, covering their bad debts, but leaving the same people in charge. And the bankers at the top who caused the mess in the first place continued to get their big bonuses, continued to be rewarded. Um, and the people who had to pay for the mess were working class people who were the innocents in, in this situation who are still paying for it today because governments across the world decided that they needed to carry through austerity. Um, partly because in a recession, They gain less in taxes because people are earning less or not in work at all. And on the other hand, they're having to pay out in in countries like Britain a bit more in welfare payments for the same reason that people are either unemployed or on low wages. Um, So in, in effect, they get less money in and they're paying more money out. Their solution is to cut government spending even further. The trouble is, is that that actually just makes things worse because that means more people out of work. So it becomes, it sort of exacerbates the uh, the problems. Um, but we're still paying for it in terms of austerity. And of course, what's happened is actually even since 10 years ago, wages and living standards have not recovered to the level they were before the crisis began in 2007, even today. And um, the governor of the Bank of England pointed out that we've had the lowest level of wage growth in Britain since the beginning of the 19th century, um, which is astonishing in actual fact. And um, so they had to, the, the governments of the, uh, on behalf of the capitalists had to step in and take measures to defend their system, but they're now making us pay for that. So that's what they did. What did we say should be done at the time? Well, we were in favour of real socialist measures, um, nationalise the banks, but take them out of the hands of the people who caused the mess in the first place. Uh, but not just that, um, the big econ- uh, firms, the companies that really dominate the economy, they should be brought into public ownership as well and used as part of a socialist plan. The problem for capitalism is it's an unplanned system. That its decisions are made in the short-term interests of the profits of individual companies. What we need is a system that's based on a planning of what resources exist and how they can be used for the benefit of everyone. So we would obviously step in to defend people's savings, ordinary people's savings in the banks, but we'd take the banks out of the hands of big business. We'd link them to a planned uh, system in Britain. There's perhaps 100, maybe 150 companies that really dominate the economy. You know, 
those companies, they have a turnover equivalent to about two thirds of our entire national income. So those companies, if they were um, brought into public ownership and run democratically with the involvement of working class people, we could we could use those resources to plan things for the benefit of everyone and eliminate this anarchy that exists under uh, capitalism. So 10 years on then, what do you think we can say has been the impact of the crisis in that time on the capitalist class? Well, for some of the capitalists, they're still very rich for a start. You know, um, in fact, you know, even uh, last year, if you take the top $500 billionaires in the world, their wealth went up by more than 25% in a year. So in, in some sense, they're doing fine compared to the rest of the world's population who are really struggling and having their living standards driven down. But on the other hand, it has weakened the strength of the capitalists politically, if you want to put it that way. Um, what we've had, actually, is a drop in support for the established political parties, both those parties that were traditionally the capitalist parties, uh, like the Tories, for example, here, but also parties that were meant to represent um, ordinary people, uh, like the Labour Party uh, and others in the past, particularly under Tony Blair. Under Tony Blair, that Labour Party uh, votes actually collapsed from uh, from their from their height, and but that's an international phenomenon. People don't trust those parties anymore to anything like the extent they used to, because those governments have been carrying out austerity measures as a direct result of the economic crash. What it's meant is, in some parts of the world, there's been a big growth in new left-wing organisations and new left-wing parties uh, of different kinds around uh, the world, like Podemos in Spain, um, Syriza in Greece, the left party in Germany, and so on. But there's also been the rise of the populist right, which you know also explains a phenomenon like Trump, in the United States and more recently Bolsonaro in Brazil. So you've seen a growth on the left and also on the right and a weakening of the main established parties um, of, the, uh, of the capitalist class. So it's been a massive blow to the capitalists politically in reality. And they do fear a repetition of, uh, of that economic crisis and what that would mean for them as well. So that's... The one side then, in terms of the impact on the capitalist class, the other side is the impact of the crisis, you know, over the course of 10 years on working class people. And you've mentioned a bit already about the um, austerity that workers have suffered, wages and conditions and so on. I suppose maybe the other side of it is workers' uh, understanding of the capitalist system, isn't it? Well, what you can say is that there's been a lot, lot, lot of confidence in the institutions of capitalism, the main parties of capitalism. And there's a massive anger that exists uh, amongst wide layers of people. And that's why they voted for the likes of Trump, despite the fact that he himself is a capitalist and thoroughly reactionary. The anger that people have felt about what's been going on has been misguidedly sent in directions like that. There's an anger against capitalism and amongst a layer of young people and of workers, there's been a questioning of the system. It's, you know, it's only at its beginnings, you could say, but certainly a layer of young people 
that's what's behind, for example, the Corbyn surge of when Jeremy Corbyn came and said, actually, there's an alternative to austerity. Um, and the programme that he put forward inspired huge numbers of people to actually support him to join the Labour Party or to um, become Labour Party supporters because people are looking for an alternative and looking for socialist ideas. And really, that process is only at its very beginnings at the moment. OK, and so 10 years on, is is the crisis actually over now? And what do you think is ahead in the kind of medium term uh, for the economy? Well, the impact of the crisis from 10 years ago is still being felt now in, in terms of people's living standards. When Theresa May says austerity is over, there is no one that actually really believes her because it isn't over. We know, we feel it in our lives every single day. So in that sense, it's not over. But obviously there's the hope um, amongst many people that we'll get through it and things will recover. But actually, if you look at the economic indicators, many of the capitalists and their economic spokespeople are terrified of a repeat of that economic crisis. All the factors that existed before the crisis in 10 years ago exist today, perhaps with some extra factors on top. Um, debt, for example, has again risen to a, a massive uh, level. It's now at, on a world scale, 240% of the world's total annual production of debt. So that situation that existed 10 years ago still exists uh, today. And all the other issues are, uh, are still around, plus extra ones. You've got, for example, um, this trade war that's going on, particularly between the US and China, partly driven by Trump's idea of America first, of protecting US industries by putting tariffs on foreign imports coming into the United States. But the problem with that approach is that if you slap a tariff on another country's exports to you, then they'll do the same to you. You'll get a tit-for-tat battle. Um, and trade wars could have the potential of having a huge impact on the world economy. By the way, in the 1930s, that was one of the factors, is the uh, conflict between different capitalist uh, countries and the trade wars that uh, existed. And it isn't really just an issue of it all being caused by Trump. There is um, growing tensions between all the different capitalist uh, governments around the world um, uh, fighting each other, if you like, uh, at least economically and maybe potentially actually militarily at some stage, at least by proxy wars anyway, which is um, a big threat to, uh, to the world economy. And there's many other issues. Uh, you look at the political turmoil around the issue of Brexit for example, and the EU as a whole, crisis in the Italian banks, for example. You've got um, issues such as the so-called emerging economies that at one point were supposed to drag the world out of recession and today uh, are in absolute crisis. One of the reasons why Bolsonaro has been elected president in Brazil is because of the huge recession that exists in Brazil, and that's also repeated in Argentina and Turkey and in other countries as well. So there's a whole load of other factors 
So it may or may not be the subprime market that causes a crisis this time around. There's other factors uh, that can do it. But, you know, beyond that, it's this underlying problem that capitalism has. Whilst capitalism exists, there will always be further crises on the horizon. Okay. Thanks very much for speaking to us, Steve. You can read more about the topic by visiting the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. You can ask any follow-up questions for Steve by emailing socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review and click subscribe in your podcast app if you like what we are doing. And most importantly, we want you not just to listen, but to get involved. Come along to a meeting near you to take part in discussions like the one you've just heard and to find out more about what it means to be a member of the Socialist Party. Find out more at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join.